Today on Jam Session, we're talking Britney Spears. We're talking Meghan Markle. We're going to do some recommendations. We're still reading. Haven't talked about books in a while, so we'll hit on that very briefly. And Juliet is still watching YouTube. Thank the Lord. (laughs) All that and more coming up. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Big celebrity story we're going to discuss. We're going to talk about uh, Brittany, Justin, and Janet Jackson. She's the only one who gets a last name in this conversation, I guess. Um, some Meghan Markle, Prince Harry news, of course. And then we're going to do a couple of just recommendations, you know, just things we're into. They're going to be mm-hmm. random. We'll be mostly surprising each other. I'm quite looking forward to it. Um, let's begin with the renewed interest in Justin Timberlake's early 2000s life and how that relates to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson. Um, should we begin with framing Britney? Yeah, I was going to say, let's let's begin with renewed interest in Britney because, okay. you know, the Justin Timberlake apology is kind of the most recent development in what has been a couple weeks of renewed conversation that did start with the New York Times produced documentary Framing Britney Spears. Which our friend Wesley is in. Great job, Wesley. Our friend Wesley, also Joe Coscarelli, a New York Times reporter who did a lot of the reporting on Britney Spears' conservatorship Mm -hmm. that I think kind of inspired the New York Times making this documentary. They turned that basis of reporting into a larger look And it does focus specifically on kind of the legal predicament that Britney Spears finds herself in right now. But it puts that in context of, you know, Britney Spears' fame over the last 20 or it's 20 years and not 30, right? We're not that old. Um, It's like 25 years. And it's really, well, Baby One More Time, I think, came out in 98, um, maybe 99. So it's, you know, 22 years. Um, Britney Spears is Instagram has been something that we've periodically, you and I texted about. We haven't really talked about it on this podcast because frankly, it elicits a lot of questions that make you worried about Britney Spears. And I think the documentary um, doesn't necessarily like alleviate those, but I think it's just very confusing what's happening with Britney. The documentary does a really good job sort of laying out the steps that her career has taken over the last, you know, 20 years and 
to how she's basically just not really available to the public anymore outside of her her Instagram videos that, you know, I think like are just their own their own enthralling thing. But I didn't think it really... If you've been following along with Britney Spears the last 20 years, it didn't really offer that, anything that much new. I would agree. I think in the sense it's probably not for you and me, two people who like grew up with Britney Spears. Yeah. And I like, I really did. I vividly remember... I saw Britney Spears in concert. She opened for NSYNC and I had lobbied to go see NSYNC for, you know, weeks and finally did it. And then was like, who is this person? And so kind of my understanding of pop music and of fame and of celebrity uh, was very much shaped by the, the decade or decade and a half that is documented in framing Britney Spears. And I, like, I'll be honest, I remember some of these things, some of the clips, the late night jokes, the family feud, the details cover quite jarring, even though you and I lived through it and it shaped our brains to an extent. And that's, you know, it's not about us right now, but that, that is sort of a horrifying climate. So that to me, even as I lived through it, it was quite something. And, and I think a lot of people who didn't live through it are responding to it with a lot of, um, shock as is completely understandable. So I think it's for people who haven't been paying as much attention or didn't live through it, and that is a lot of people, and I think that's really valid. There is also an emphasis on the Free Britney movement, mm-hmm. which is an online kind of hashtag and and group of community who have become really interested in um, Britney Spears' status and the, the, the legal case, the conservatorship surrounding her and really advocating for her. And... It's interesting to me to watch this documentary and especially kind of the free Britney aspects of it. And and like, you know, I'm not a legal expert, but I, <laughs> the documentary makes the case that there are a lot of questions to be asked about this legal arrangement. And so I yeah. like, you know, I, I, I only want the best for Britney Spears truly. Um, but how we express that wish of the best for Britney Spears is really interesting and watching kind of the free Britney aspects of it and even some of the conversation in the last few weeks. I realized that I am very much of the leave Britney alone generation, mm-hmm. which Chris is, Crocker. yes, which is of course like an actual reference to Chris Crocker. And this was a response, I guess, like 10 years ago at the time of just the, like the really intense attention and pressure around Britney Spears. And it was just like, can we just, can we leave her alone? She needs some space. And, you know, I think she also needs legal, legal advocacy. So I hope that well, she gets that. But I think she is. The ACLU a few months ago announced that they were going to be getting involved in this, like offering support to Britney's legal team to help yeah. free Britney. Yeah, but it's just when you were saying we haven't really like talked about the Instagrams as much and even how we respond to certain aspects of the the, the documentary and the kind of the more recent 2020 stuff. I do find it, it's just like a generational, my instinct is just like, leave this person alone. Like this person has been through enough. We like, we put her through enough. We have a record of it. And so my protectiveness um, demonstrates itself in a different way. But it's really interesting to watch a a different generation and like a different form of just engaging with the world, um, engaging with this story because it really does encapsulate a lot of the last 20 years. How are other people engaging with it? Like, what do you mean by that? Well, I, you know, the documentary itself just shoots a lot of footage of people outside courthouses, mm-hmm. like, you know, and there are a lot of, and I understand that this is a little bit because documentaries are made by like, it's who's available to, you know, you got to have footage 
And so these are the people who are available to be filmed. I mean, Britney Spears is not in the documentary. Her family is not in the documentary. Yeah. Like, no the one music in circles is, in it. The music is not in the documentary. Um, so y- you got to have something to show. And these people like are very available. And, I, you know, to some extent, this is how pop culture works now, right? Is that everyone has their kind of their community that they've attached themselves to and and they have like a a, a cause or just an idea that informs how they how they spend a lot of time. Yeah. And you know, these people and the free printing movement has like actually been cited in the legal documents. So yeah. I don't mean to be and it clearly Britney Spears is aware of it. So I don't mean to be dismissive of, of it in any way, shape or form. It is just very different from how I engage with the world and with causes that I believe in, especially in the pop culture sphere. And again, I th- like it's, I mean, it's because I'm old and also because of- I, know, I, I think just, a lot of free Britney people are are our age. I, I don't think it's like a young, I don't think it's necessarily like a younger group. I think it's just like people who engage with Britney Spears really differently. I was never a Britney Spears super fan. I've never loved her music. I never thought she was like some incredible talent. Like I was just never that into her. I mean, I like, again, as a human, wish her the best. And also she she is quite talented. I mean, it's not like any 16-year-old can do what she did, you know? And she clearly had a real stage presence and um, got really into dancing. But I think it's also just like people who enjoy Britney Spears' output in a different way. Because I was like never a big fan. Were you? Yeah, of course. Come on. I was just like, this is good. But I was just never, I, I just liked so much other music so much more. Like, including Christina Aguilera. I love her voice. She's never thought Britney Spears uh, is a good that's enough right. singer. The, <laughs> I forgot that you, the female vocalist fan uh, yeah. must have her. She's not that good of a singer. Uh, I, she was a phenomenon. She was like yeah. the central force of, of, the, of the 2000s in the pop music space. And that was when I was becoming aware of pop music and all of these things. Like, I, I am interested in her, first of all, those songs meant a lot to me. Mm. I like, like I said, I was twelve. I went to an instant concert, not above it. Then heard "Baby One More Time" on. Uh, do you remember Casey Kasem's Top Forty? Sure. Okay, thank you. Because when I did TV concierge with Amelia Wedemeyer about framing Britney Spears, she 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 very politely was like, "You know, I think I've heard of Casey Kasem's Top Forty, but I don't remember it personally." And I was like, "Okay, that was a very diplomatic way of calling me old." <laughs> That's so she cool. doesn't know about long distance dedication, huh? Yeah, I appreciate She's the out. support. But I, like lived with every one of those albums for sure and lived with all of the media coverage. And I remember the dark days of 2007 and 2008 really well. You know, I, I sort of have like a- The Give Me More era. The Give Me More era, but frankly, all of the off the, like the non-music stuff. The, yeah. I, I have a vivid memory in my mind of like the Drudge Report, like splash of the Britney Spears umbrella photo, which mm-hmm. was kind of just like- a, a really, really dark moment. And also just saying Drudge Report brings up a lot of shivers in my mind. But, you know, I also so of its era, right? Sure. Yeah, of course. I think the bathroom photos, the shaved head photos and then barefoot in the bathroom are the, the searing memory for me. Um, I think that this has gotten, unfortunately, spun into a Justin Timberlake story because I think the truly new thing that the documentary did was give him a lot of culpability for how she was portrayed. And like, I I remember when um, the Cry Me River video came out, it was clear that it was like, even if he didn't write that song about her, it was being positioned as being about her. That was like the whole marketing campaign around mm-hmm. Cry Me River. Mm-hmm. And as a teen and a young person and as someone with like an extreme amount of internalized misogyny, it never really occurred to me that like that was a part of Britney Spears's 
downfall as like a public figure. And so I think that's probably true for other people as well. And I think that like, I think the Janet Jackson piece of Justin Timberlake is like, has been more discussed forthrightly, but I think this is one of the first really direct commentary, pieces of commentary on how Justin Timberlake screwed over Britney Spears' professional career. I mean, I'm saying nothing about her emotionally and, and like personal life, but like, I do think that was kind of new. And I think that is like why this then got um, co-opted by Justin Timberlake, who I just like really, I just want to say, I really enjoy his music and cannot stand this person. Like just cannot. Yeah. he. I mean, he released the notes apology on a Friday night, you know, after several weeks of discussion about this. And, you know, the New York Times describes it as vague, if earnest, um, though he does say that he wants specifically to apologize to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson. You know, it is not for either of us to accept an apology from Justin Timberlake to these people. I would just point out it did feel kind of, you know, necessitated by everything that was going on instead of the the timing and the execution of it makes it seem like he was not expecting all of this attention and then was responding to the the media uh, uh, of it all. So... That's where it is. Did you want to hear from him? Because, like, I, I did see quite a bit of commentary being... I, I think more people were relieved to hear his, his apology to Janet Jackson and acknowledging his role in her career troubles of the last 20 years to the extent that she's had them. I mean, she's still extremely beloved by many, but she was definitely, like, blacklisted from a lot of the mainstream entertainment world immediately after what happened at the Super Bowl. But, like, did you want to hear from him? I mean, no, but Me that has a little, but, but again, I think that's a, a little bit from like my generational thing of how I respond to these. And I, I don't know. It's, it's not really for us. I, I like, I don't, the, the apology was certainly not for us. And that my name is not Britney Spears and my name is not Janet Jackson. And I, I think there are a lot of people who kind of understand culture this way and, and, and we're learning about it for the first time and maybe did want to hear from him. And, you know, I guess, like, I do kind of agree with you that it feels a little bit like inserting himself into a conversation that he is a part of, but shouldn't be the focus of. Right. But, I, you know. And, like, I am glad that perhaps he is growing and can see that he, you know, he should have spoken up and, defended Janet Jackson and should have not put Britney Spears in the position that he put her in. And like, he basically capitalized off both of their downfalls. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's really rough. I am of the opinion that I'm just like, I don't like your apology 20 years later, like means nothing to me. And also like, are you going to apologize to Alicia Wainwright? Like I'm, she's, she's like collateral damage of the Justin Timberlake world. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just sort of like, I don't really want to hear from you, but I think that might, I'm not sure that's really a popular opinion. And I also do think that like, it does help recenter Britney Spears in her conversation, Justin and Janet Jackson in her conversation, because it's sort of like Justin Timberlake has admitted or like owned some culpability, which is positive. But I'm just like, I don't want to hear from you, dude. Too little, too late. That's like my own take on it. And I'm also just like, you know, he's also coming off of like a really successful weekend or month for Apple TV Plus with Palmer and um, getting to play at the inauguration. I'm just like, whatever, dude. 
Good for you. And again, I really, I think Better Days is a great song. I've watched the YouTube video a lot. I hope that Aunt Clemens goes on to have a I've big career. I've literally not heard it. Don't know where I would have encountered it. He performed at the inauguration concert. I, respectfully, I watched the inauguration <laughs> and not the concert. And at like... Well, I watched all the concerts. Okay, that's great. I'm Here we are in a new America, I hope. Um, I hope so too. I don't know. I'm just sort of like, he's a celebrity that... You know, I also am like a part of the problem. I started this podcast by making him the focus of it. And you were right. It's like actually not about him. It's about Britney. And it's about Jan Jackson. But I'm just like, I don't know. I, I would like to um, enjoy some of his tunes and peace and not hear from him. And I don't want to know it's apology from Justin Timberlake. Yeah. I don't accept. That's how, that's where I stand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Again, my case is that I'm I am I'm not accepting or anything. I it's because it's not for me. I, I think that there are two things going on here simultaneously. There is a just like an actual re-examination of Britney and this conservatorship. And, you know, that case is ongoing. There was a hearing uh, again last week after uh, the documentary aired and obviously like a renewed interest in it. I believe nothing was changed in the legal arrangement, um, but there are more hearings later this this year. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, that's like a pretty extended legal process that even, you know, the documentary says um, is quite murky. And, um and and kind of difficult to parse and, and difficult to undo. So, you know, hopefully there will be a continued interest there and like more clarity. And, you know, I agree with you, the, the Instagram videos and everything. I like, I, I don't know what's going on with Britney Spears herself. And I, I still just want health and happiness for her. Um, and, you know, if, undoing the conservatorship is a part of that, then I really hope that that happens. The, the separate thing that's going on is just a re-examination of the 2000s and, yeah. you know, and media culture. And, and like, let's keep doing it until it's undone. I Like, and it, can it be undone? No. And are we all living in the consequences of it? Yes. Is that worth examining and trying to be more responsible about? For sure. It like, are we suddenly healed? Like, is is twenty twenty one so much better than two thousand one? No, is it? It's different, but you know there are other pockets. But I, like, you and I talk about this stuff all the time, yeah. and I think it is the way that we talk about celebrities reveals a lot about our like impulses as a society. And I think that it is always worth like examination and trying to do better. Did you um, watch the David Letterman clip of, with Lindsay Lohan where he's asking her about like rehab and all this stuff? And she's really kind of artfully dodging a lot of it or sort of like trying to, not dodging it, but redirecting the conversation and making it clear that he's crossed the line. Yeah. Have you watched that? Yes, I have. Oh my God, that was crazy. She's, she seems like that that will be another conversation that will be had soon. Yeah. Um, my favorite part of the Britney Spears documentary was everyone saying how lovely she was. I love it when there are stories about professional people being cordial, professional, and courteous. Like, it's too bad that didn't get to be the rap on Britney, you know? Like, because of the teen culture that I was an extreme participant in of, like, you know, her relationships and her family. Like, we didn't get to hear those stories. And I, candidly, as a 15-year-old, probably wouldn't have cared as much. But as an adult, I loved hearing about what a professional pop star Britney Spears was. That that was really, like, made me happy. And I was, like, glad that that was being recognized because it is a big part of being famous. And, like, that's one of the reasons why, you know, Ariana Grande had her backlash when she licked the donuts because she was the opposite of what Britney Spears was <laughs> purported to be. I mean, also, she was just licking some donuts, like, on a security yeah. cam. That is just a weird <laughs> other... But, you know, I, I do think, that to me, the most 
fascinating or one of the most fascinating because, you know, I had never seen the 2009, I believe, documentary, um, MTV documentary of Britney Spears where she kind of makes a, a reference to the conservatorship. And it's like, I, you know, I, the constraints on me and I wish that I weren't in them. And I had just never seen that. But the other thing that was pretty chilling was the interview specifically with the videographer who took the umbrella mm. video and just the complete... I think even lack of awareness is how I would put it. It just of, of what was going on, what he was participating in, the consequences of anything of his job or what he had done. And I mean, that was some an amazing tape. I was like, do you, do you understand like what you're being interviewed for right now? But you know, it's not for me to say. And then there was a, a brief interview with a Us Weekly photo editor. And he talks about how much money is spent on the paparazzi photos or how much money was spent in the mid-2000s on paparazzi photos for Us Weekly, which was how they remade Us Weekly and, you know, certainly launched my interest in celebrity. And I read Us Weekly religiously and it launched a thousand internet blogs. And like now it's just what we do on Instagram. You know, it is kind of the foundation of a certain type of celebrity anyway. And all of that stuff, when you take it out of the stars, just like us rapping is, it's a choice. And I think like you, I mean, you and I have talked about this before. And and I think we talk a lot about how we consume these things, but we know that they can be really invasive. You know, we talked about it with Emily Ratajkowski as well. And it's like, I, I, I don't have any solutions to it, but I think it's worthwhile to keep talking about it and to keep remembering like how we get so much of this content. Do you think there's a force like MTV currently? And I'm, I might just not know what it is. But one thing about Britney Spears was that she conquered MTV in a very specific way. And it was like the main space for teens. And, you know, we talk about it in other parts of culture at the ringer all the time, about how it's just like a lot, a lot more diffuse and there's not the same kind of like monoculture I as I don't I don't have a teen and I'm not a teen so I'm not really sure like what the dominant space is. I think it's TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. But like do you think there's a way to like conquer that in the same way? Like is like Addison Ray or one of the Demilios like filling the same role or has like there been a fundamental shift in like how these young women become famous and are received? I think that they're playing the same role to TikTok as Britney Spears played to early MTV because I was MTV was launched in 1984. I think it was launched literally the day I was born, which is why I know that. Um, but, or maybe it was launched a couple years earlier, but early eighties, but kind of the late nineties TRL reinvention that just absolutely fueled my teenage years, if nothing yeah. else, but certainly like the teen culture that you were referencing, Britney Spears was a huge part of that. The boy bands and Britney Spears kind of, kind of fueled a huge amount of that people in Times Square, like, you know, screaming MTV, like how many times can you get play- this video played on MTV in a day? And I, like, I think that was good for Britney Spears and that was good for MTV. And then that teen culture explodes over the next decade to a lot of the ugliness that we saw in the documentary. I, but I think like Charlie D'Amelio and TikTok, the same thing. She was like very popular very early on on TikTok. And now there is a whole content world kind of surrounding her, even as she tries to move outside of TikTok. Now, I think the difference is the amount of control that she has over what she puts on TikTok and everything else and the control and also the awareness of how much you're sharing and what you're sharing and even what a definition of privacy versus like, 
personal life is on the internet and in social media and in TikTok. And I think, I, like, I, the optimist in me likes to think that teens just have a better understanding of all of this. I think there's two things that also jump out to me. One is that, like, I have, I mean, they have a reality show coming, so this will change. But I've never heard Charlie or Dixie D'Amelio speak. Like, I don't know what the sound of their voice looks like. And so much of their celebrity is, like, just appearing and not speaking. And obviously dancing is a, is a big part of it. But it's just, like, it's a different mode of communication, you know? It's, like, not through any kind of, like, vocal or verbalization. It's kind of, It's, like, super weird. It's almost like a silent film star. It's super weird. But, like, that's also just because I'm not that familiar. I'm sure if I sought them out, there's plenty of material of them talking. But that's just, like, not, like, their main thing, right? And then the other thing that's also just, like, weird is that while Addison Ray she has dance training. Like, she did dance as a young person before TikTok and everything. There's not the same kind of, like, career attached to this. Like, what Britney Spears was pursuing was, like, a known type of career, right? Of, like, being a pop star. Addison Rae and and the D'Amelio sisters are kind of charting a new course here of how you go from TikTok to uh, whether it's a movie remake of She's All That or it's to Hulu with your family for, like, your version of the Kardashians or the Osbournes or whatever it's going to be. And, like, of course, there's precedent, right? Like, we just, like, laid some out. But this is just different. Like, this is a different kind of celebrity. Um, and I, I, like I said, there's, so there are, like, antecedents for it. But there's just something a little bit different about this, and I'm curious to see how that, that will play out. I mean, hopefully better than it has for Britney Spears. And, and I think, frankly, most of the young women who were famous around the year 2000 in, in the music space. It is interesting that it, it's very different, but also that this kind of same infrastructures are still popping up. You're still trying to make it onto a bigger screen from your phone to the TV or from your phone to the movies. And there are like paparazzi blogs for the TikTok stars and there are people oh, who, yeah, you know, there is all of like the economy around the economy because that's what happens when people are, are famous. So I hope it goes better and I hope that everyone around them can just be more responsible. This is one of the things where you're like, I hope everything that, you know, we've learned in the last 20 years or the last two weeks um, in terms of conversation can actually be applied. And I, I do just also, young people are more media savvy than certainly yeah. I was at their age. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now we sound really old. God, now we're just like, I, you know, get me some some knitting or something that I guess not even knitting signifies old. You know, age is just a number. But um, shout out to the kids. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Next topic today. The announcement I think many people expected. Uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry 
they are having their second child. She is due, I believe, in July. Perhaps it was June. I don't remember. Um, they took a lovely photo via iPad in their home in Montecito. And uh, congratulations to them. Another photo of Harry and Meghan. That's great. It is. Congratulations to them. It's, yeah. um, you know, hope they are happy and healthy and everything goes well. The other thing to note is that over the weekend, Meghan Merkel also won her case against. She sure did. I'm happy for her. I am too. I have to be honest. I read most of the 53-page decision, which was an extremely strange decision by yours truly, but what we all do things in quarantine. And I like I stopped at one point because I felt like my brain was broken. And then I'll be honest, I skimmed all of it. It seemed really long. I don't know if it had to be that long. It is just very clear that she won that case. You know, I, I think I didn't really understand until I read the document the extent to which it was like about this specific letter that she'd written to her father being published. And as if you read between the lines as much of the like invasion of privacy by her father as the newspapers, I mean, and it is about the newspapers as well. And I don't mean to diminish that, but it became a bit clearer to me. And uh, it definitely seemed like an invasion of privacy. And that seems like a really difficult thing that she's been going through with a direct member of her family. And um, she's not going to have to go to trial and testify against him. So that's great. Congratulations to them. Absolutely. And we'll be hearing more from them on March 7th when they'll be doing an interview with Oprah, their neighbor. Yes. Gail King oh, no. says no on topic own? is off limits. CBS? CBS. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'll certainly be watching. I will too. I don't know. Will you watch live? Probably. I wonder if there's a screener for that. Can we watch it in advance? I'm sure there's not, but uh, (laughs) yeah, we'll find out. Oh, man. Well, you know, I I look forward to when um, their announcements aren't coupled with like um, Instagram aesthetic photos, but I don't know why. That's just like my own personal pet peeve. I mean, the thing is, is that it it was like real, real Instagram aesthetic. And a lot of people have just been like, this is like the you know, end of Notting Hill, which is, you know, that's funny to point out. But they're not on Instagram, right? Like they just, they they released it. So, you know, this seems, I'm first of all, just like extremely happy for them and having a second child, you know, because Meghan Markle had shared that she had a miscarriage last year and it's, you just want people to be healthy and happy. So that's great news. The the timing of the trial decision and then the Oprah interview, which is a little over a year since they dramatically left the royal family, it seems like a, like this is our new phase. You know, this is like the next chapter of Harry and Meghan, like Los Angeles or, you know, whatever. And so yeah. that is an artful bit of a kind of press scheduling. And I hope that... Uh, it is actually their next chapter, you know? Like Me that too. they I like I look forward to hearing about what they actually want to do in LA and I hope it works out. And 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 congratulations to them on the kid because that's great stuff. Agreed. All right, let's do some recommendations. I okay. just wanted to like talk about some stuff we're we're into. And um would you like to go first? Oh, sure. So the first thing that I have to recommend uh is a book that I read this weekend. And that I had honestly never heard of until I, um, the novelist Lily King recommended it in the New York Times. The New York Times is part of their like at home packages has been Mm -hmm. having, you know, writers recommend various comfort reads. And I think basically every other 
book Lily King name-checked in her Cuffword Read section. I recommend, but had already read, and I had never even heard of I Capture the Castle. So I read it. It is a novel by Dodie Smith that was published in 1948. And it is a pistolary sort of, it's the form of a journal of a young woman who lives in a like very, very, very rundown castle uh, in England in the 30s. And it's Mm. just about kind of her adventures and her oddball family. And when you say castle, you think that there are like fairy tale elements to it, but it's not. It's a it's a funny novel, and I mean it's fairy tale in that sense that she lives in a castle, I guess. But it's playing with that idea. It reminded me a lot of like the Dud Avocado, if you know that book, um, but but kind of set in the English countryside and was just like extremely charming. Just mm. one of the most charming kind of narrators that I've ever. In, or I've encountered in some time. I read it in a day. Juliet, I immediately thought of your mother, who shares a <laughs> lot of uh, book tastes with me. I'll and have to recommend this to her, although she listens. She'll maybe hear. she already knows about it because, you know, it was published 60, 70 years ago, and I just had never heard of it. But if you listening also have not heard of it, I just escapist delight. Really recommend it. Um, the One of the pull quotes on the Amazon page is, this book has one of the most charismatic narrators I've ever met from mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling. So okay. she agrees with you. Yeah. Um, well, that sounds great. Uh, maybe I'll read that eventually as well. Although I just bought a lot of books I got to work through. Um, on the list. I'm currently reading, almost done with, uh, Trio by William Boyd, who I didn't know about, but I now know he's written like 20 novels. And I really recommend this book uh, to you specifically, Amanda, and to Chris okay. Ryan. I think you'll both like it a lot. Okay, great. Um, it's kind of, it's about three different people who are um, related to the making of a film in 1968 in Brighton, England. And it's kind of a comedy. It's got like some Virginia Woolf overtones, but like comedic ones, if you can believe it or not. And um, I really love it. It's like a really great read. I, I highly recommend it. Um, William Boyd, I think, also has an interesting perspective because I think he, as far as I can tell, I haven't done a full deep dive, but he was born in Ghana in 1952. So he was sort of born into the old empire. And I think a lot of his work, a lot of his writing is kind of like reckoning with them in sort of very like arch British ways, the kind of the the unfortunate legacy of empire. And um, this book is that actually doesn't touch on that that much because it's a movie set in Brighton, England in 1968. But I really like it. If you followed our Jonathan Coe recommendations, you'll definitely like this book as well. It's very good. Yeah, I was going to say, it, the premise sounds somewhat like the most mm-hmm. recent Jonathan Coe book about Billy Wilder. This is more fun, in my opinion. Okay. Well, that's great. I have two more recommendations because you said that I could talk about cooking. And I just, yeah, let me tell sure. you, that was like three seconds before we started recording and I'm seizing my opportunity. I have two recommendations. The first, which I asked both you and our fill-in producer, Isaac, if you'd heard of it before we started and you hadn't. So it's Amsam. And I learned about Amsam from uh, my pals, Claire Mazur and Erica Cerullo, who host a podcast, A Thing or Two, which is just where I learn about all cool things. So I recommend it. But- Amsam is, they're essentially, I guess they're like meal starter kits, though not in like the blue apron fashion. They are basically shelf-stable Asian sauces. And so it's, they were started by, it was started by two sisters, um, Kim and Vanessa Pham. 
and they work with New York City chefs. And so there is like a, there's a Vietnamese starter, there's a Korean starter, there's a Chinese starter. Mm. And it's, the idea is that it's like really high quality of all these ingredients and all of the the flavors together so that if you don't have access to them in your, wherever you are, it's kind of that part of the work is done for you. And that part of it is really great. And it's just also really like easy, delicious cooking because they send the ingredients, they send the sauce, the the sauce packet keeps for a year. Oh, um, wow. They tell you a what year. else. That's great. I know. It is really great. They tell you what else um, you need and there are a few variations. So if you're, you know, avoiding meat or whatever, or you prefer a different type of meat and it's just, it's delicious. And I really have enjoyed it. I feel like I've learned about new ingredients um, or just new dishes. And they they do a lot of work as well with your purchases to, you know, support the New York City community specifically. So I totally recommend it. It's great for yourself. It's great for a gift. It's delicious. And it's like, you know, the night when you're like, I just don't want to cook dinner. Um, yes, see most nights. Yeah, but also maybe you don't want to order takeout or you like... That's how I... I this sounds good because I'm just like bored with meals in general. Yeah. So it sounds great. Although I'm using my slow cooker for the first time ever today to make a lasagna soup. A lasagna soup? Yep. From okay. damndelicious.net. Okay. So I guess it's just like a noodle. Like the pastas are yeah. noodles deconstructed. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm excited to hear how that turns out for you. I didn't know <laughs> that you were living slow cooker life. And this is my first day of it. I oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Wow. All right. We're going to do that report back. I am seizing the opportunity. I have one more cooking recommendation. Please, Can I share uh, it with of you? Of course. I just said some recommendations. I just I like ra- okay. random recommendations. See, the other thing that I finally made this weekend after having fixated on it for weeks, Dory Greenspan um, has a column in the Times. Well, she's introduced me to two things. Number one, she introduced me to the novels of Louise Penny, which mm. if you like mystery novels and coziness, I just, I can't recommend it enough. I finished my fourth this weekend, have number five on deck. Inspector Gamash, what's up? Okay. Um, more recently, she wrote about um, a French hors d'oeuvre called the cake salé. And it's basically like a savory cake, like a savory banana bread. But because there's not banana in it, you can have you know cheese, ham, prosciutto, herbs, whatever you want. And I really recommend the column because in it, she talks about how most French people just buy the frozen version of Cake Salé at the French version of Trader Joe's. Oh. Basically, as uh, best I'd, I can understand I'd it. I'd love and, to be living that French Trader Joe's sure. life. And I believe that the French version of Trader Joe's is called Picard and I didn't know about it. And so if you just want to learn about like French Trader Joe's and also if there are any French people listening who want to suggest a more apt comparison than Trader Joe's, I'm all ears. Um, but then after that delightful column, she offers a recipe for making your own Cake Salé. And we made, I made one this weekend just like with some Gruyere and some prosciutto. And like, I can't tell you how good it was. And all you have to do is stir stuff. And then I was just like, I am like the queen of the I'm kitchen. French now? Uh. I, like I am, I am French and I have my own TV show. It was so good. And I ate way too much of it. So I really recommend this treat for yourself. You can put whatever you have left over in it. And it is very forgiving because I'm not a baker. Um, I really just can't stand to measure things. So those are my recommendations. Okay, that's, they're all great. One of mine's also food-related. Um, 
I've got a, like a, just an insane sweet tooth. Like I wake up and I'd like to have like waffles with like, you know, really sugary strawberries. And like for lunch, I'd be interested in having like a, a donut. Like my, my sweet tooth is so out of control. So I've been trying to regulate it a little bit by having a lot of fruit. But moreover, I've introduced dark chocolate hummus into my life. Mm. And okay. All right. No, 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 no. Stop right there. You actually said dark chocolate hummus before we started recording, and I just, like, didn't really hear it. And I guess that's the definition of saving it for the pod. So where are you getting dark chocolate hummus? They have it at every grocery store. It's just now it's now a staple in the hummus section. Sabra makes it. Borsad makes it. Like, every—and now I have noticed that there is now a sweet hummus trend. And I can't say I support it overall, but for me and my purpose of, like, trying to not constantly just, like— eat baked goods and so many sweets, having like dipping like a like a slice of a banana or a raspberry into dark chocolate hummus is so delightful. And it's just not something that I like feel like I need to gorge on like with M&Ms or something. I don't know. I just like love dark chocolate hummus. I know it sounds incredibly gross, but I just can't recommend it enough. It just, it doesn't sound gross necessarily. It sounds like quote, unnatural it's at first. It's not light and, on sugar. I'll just say that. And who am I to judge the, you know, nature or anything else? The nature has really been screwing with us lately. So whatever. I mean, I guess when you think about it, it's not that different from like any sort of chocolate and sesame dessert or um, Nutella or anything else that is like a, but I think there's something about, I, I don't yeah, know what to say. Chocolate hummus. It seems wrong, but it's really right. I'm just also throw it out there. I'm really aware of your very strict beliefs about cream cheese flavors. Mm. And I don't think that sweet cream cheese flavors are allowed under the Juliet Lemon. Okay. Absolutely not. So could you talk me through the distinctions here? I think there's some, well, the distinction is that cream cheese is like a sacred food that I just don't want to fuck with. It's just like so fucking good. Okay. Hummus I also love, but there's so many variations of it. Some might argue. (laughs) Hummus I also love. But there's so many variations on it anyway. You know, like so many different cultures have the, the way they make hummus and like the way that they, they season it and whatever. Um, and I don't know. It's just like, it's just different. I mean, it's just not part of my favorite meal, which is bagel and cream cheese and lox. So I'm I'm open to adulteration of, of hummus, but not cream cheese. What are you eating the dark chocolate hummus with? Bananas. Okay. Raspberries. If I had graham okay. crackers, I would do that. Okay. It's a dessert. It's a dessert food. It's like instead so it's of like chocolate a- sauce. Okay, it's like a, a fondue or a Nutella yeah. spread, basically. Yeah. But does it have protein, at least, because of the chickpeas? Yeah, I think so. It's, like, slightly more nutritious. It's still tons of sugar, of course. Okay. But, like, not as bad. It's okay. so good. That's It's just so good. Do you have a preferred brand that you feel comfortable I endorsing? I just don't like the Sabra one. I just... I, but, like, store brand is, like, generally good. Like, Boar's Head makes one. Boar's Head's really expanded beyond deli meat. I, I, no, God. Okay, Boar's Head chocolate hummus. I'm not even knocking it. It's just, that's a collection of words that I did not expect to be Cedars hearing. makes a good one too. Okay. Well, it's all great. I, I think if you, you opened your heart to me talking about cooking, so I'll open my heart to chocolate hummus. Thank you so much. Um, no one's really going to be into this, but I'm going to mention it anyway. I think I've talked about this before. I'm like really into the music of the band Johnny Swim. And they've started doing these like live streams on on their YouTube and their Instagram. And I discovered them late, but there's like six of them. They do like these live sets from their backyard. And I'm just like, I'm just like intoxicated by their lifestyle, which is great because they have a lifestyle show coming up on Chip and Joanna Gaines Magnolia Network. So oh it's by design and it's working. Um, but they're just like 
such a fascinating couple and I happen to love their music. And I just like want to know more about them, which again, this is by design and it's working. And um, I recommend their YouTube channel, Johnny Swim. A lot of a lot of good just content to take in. I don't know. I watch a lot of YouTube as you as you all know. And they're great. And also, like, I just feel like it needs to be said that the woman, the wife in this couple, is Donna Summer's daughter. Okay. But her name is not something summer. It's Amanda Sudano Ramirez. Just one day, I'd like you to write down, like with time stamps everything you watch. Just just write it down. I like I want to understand what time of day. I want to understand when. I want to understand like the watch pattern, you know, mm-hmm. that leads you. I just I want to know. I think mm-hmm. it will be good for for history, for jam session history and for the world at large. I carved out a lot of time to get down with Johnny Swim's Valentine's Day backyard <laughs> concert yesterday. <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to watch this later. I know it's happening. I won't be watching it live. I'm going to catch up later. And um, I'm thinking I'm subscribing to HGTV Plus to watch their show. Like, I, I thought you were going to say I'm thinking of subscribing to their YouTube channel. And I was just like, wow, I need like a whole podcast about your philosophy of subscribing. I only subscribe to three channels. Okay. The Ringer, Kelly Clarkson, her TV show, and Lin-Manuel Miranda's old... Um, account that he hasn't used in like 10 years. It's called Uznavi. There is nothing better than your (laughs) YouTube diary. I don't know why we don't do this every week. Well, next week, more YouTube and recommendations and um, of course, more celebrities. Thank you so much for listening. 